Welcome to Everything You Need is Within, a Spotify Greenroom live audio show and podcast produced by and for Gen Z. With me, your host, Gigi Robinson. Hey everyone, it's Gigi Robinson, the host of Everything You Need is Within, and tonight I have a treat for all of you to wrap up the actual last room of 2021, which is pretty crazy. So I am super excited to introduce you to tonight's guest, Dr. Courtney Tracy, who I have seen all over social media to begin with, but we actually met on a panel that both of us were doing with an organization called Her Campus Media, and I've been obsessed with her content like before and after that. So uh, Dr. Courtney, hello. Hi, well, thank you so much for that introduction, and you absolutely killed it on that panel. And I love as did you. And so yeah, it's nice to be here with you today. Thank you. And hi to everybody here. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited to have you on, especially to end on um, a note where we're kind of honoring and uh, accepting all of the mental health things that have happened this past year. There's been quite a lot um, the past two years, obviously, but really just uh, wrapping up this year and figuring out ways that we can be optimistic and uh, really excited and in a good mind space and headspace going into 2022 um, and just moving forward in general. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your journey, and your journey to social media? (laughs) Yes, it has been quite an interesting journey because it only happened through the pandemic. So my name is Dr. Courtney Tracy. I am a licensed clinical social worker and a doctor of clinical psychology. I used to own my own alcohol and drug treatment center. I've been working in treatment for eight years. However, this year I sold my business to focus solely on social media. So I'm known, uh, yeah, so I'm known as the truth doctor And I have almost 2 million followers across all of my platforms. And what I do is I tell the truth with no bullshit about what we need to do to take care of our mental health in a way that most of us wish a therapist would just talk to us like. So yeah, yeah, that's how I built my platform was just, and, and I share a lot of my story too, because, you know, when I was going into school, it was like, okay, you're gonna be a therapist, be a blank slate sit there, listen to your client's stories, and then that's mm-hmm. it. And of course, clients get the time in the room. But outside of the room, I'm a person and I'm trying to normalize not only that the last two years have been really difficult, but that life itself is difficult. None of us are immune to the struggles. Absolutely. And I am so proud of you for committing to doing social media full time. I think it's amazing to be a creator. And I have a lot of discussions here on my show about what that really means and how much work and energy goes into maintaining a platform online and how that affects your mental health. So um, as a, you know, a, a therapist, a psychologist, can you kind of tell us a little bit about things that you've learned and observed and also experienced yourself? Um, regarding the way that social media has impacted your mindset and your mental health. Totally. I mean, so, okay. One thing that we usually, (laughs) one thing most of us know, or we've at least heard here and there is 
you know, uh, social media affects the dopamine pathway in your brain. You get a like, you get a follow, you know, you watch this short clip that's really interesting. And then your brain gets a hit of dopamine and then you move on to the next thing. And people can, you know, I worked in addiction for eight years and, and, and the pathways are the same. It's this dopamine pathway of like, I need it. I want it. It makes me feel good. And people can become addicted to social media. But I think something that most people don't talk about is how people can become addicted to something. And that's not to say like anybody on here is addicted to social media, but our brains to a degree are even on like the smallest way. When you do something Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again, in the beginning, it's in the dopamine pathway in your brain. And you are getting that hit each time you get whatever that is, that like, that follow. Um, Eventually, though, the dopamine system stops working and it goes to this other system that's more of a habit system than a dopamine system. So in the beginning, it's like, ooh, this was new. Like, I remember when I first started Instagram and I was like posting like, you know, really filtered pictures of my food and my dog. And that was basically it. But it was so intriguing. It was mm-hmm. novel. It was new. And now that it's like a full career, it's like, okay, you know, just opening up social media doesn't give me that, that hit of dopamine that I want. Instead, it's like this habit. I get up, it doesn't really fulfill me anymore, but I'm doing it. My brain wants to do it and do it. So what I've realized is that mm-hmm. even knowing this about how the mind works, I can still get looped into this system too, because the bigger you get, the more the virality doesn't have that dopamine hit either. So you kind of gain tolerance to going viral and and it's the same pathways of just needing more, 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 more. So recently I've been working with coaching some of the biggest creators. I can't say who they are, but, but it's this exact issue. It's like feeling unfulfilled, even though you have all the things that other people think would fulfill them. It's, it's quite an interesting uh, era we're going into with creatorship being the new entrepreneurship and like nobody really knowing how to manage it. Right. So can you kind of walk us through, like, can we role play here a little bit of like, you know, let's say I'm coming to you and I'm saying, you know what, Dr. Dr. Courtney, I'm actually, is this okay? Can we do this? Um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm really having a hard time, um, posting content because, I personally feel like, you know, the, the dopamine hits or like the views, um, are impacting like how well my content performs. And since I pour my heart into my content, if it doesn't perform well, or if people don't engage, especially when it has to do with a brand partnership, it makes me feel sometimes as though like my work is not in the right place. Um, how can I shift my mindset in this situation? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is you're not your work, right? We think we are because our work, because we're required to work to survive. So our brain sees our work as the most important thing at times. And for some people it is, it's like, if I don't work, I don't have money. I literally cannot survive, but it's important for us to shift our perspective away from the fact that work is that important and realize that we are more important first And the the one suggestion that I give to my clients, my coaching clients is Mm. what is your, like, what is your daily routine? You know, because if you are working technically, if you open up your phone and you open it up to do content, you are working. Even if you're looking at other people's content, if you're reading emails, whatever it is. So if you're working from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, the only dopamine that you're probably getting is from your work. The only place you're putting your attention is from your work. Your self-worth is from your work, et cetera. 
So it's important to take a pause and realize how are you starting your day? Because you actually have the most brain flexibility within right when you wake up, 30 minutes to three hours, depending upon what you're actually doing in the morning. So if you're jumping straight in to your content and feeling bad about it because it's not doing as well, it's going to, that that's program. You're programming your brain to say, this is the most important thing of my day. And the most important thing in my day is making me feel awful. So you have to start your day different. Look, honestly, really, really, you guys look at how much time you're spending on your phone in those apps and see, can I spend any less time? And not only can I spend any less time, but what am I going to do with that time? How can I fulfill it with other things that are going to bring me dopamine, self-esteem and worth? Right. I love that. So what would, how would you suggest for someone to build a routine? Because even talking about the subject of routine can be difficult when every single day as a content creator looks different. Um, I know like an example is like some days I'm recording shows like this. Some days I have calls with brands. Other days I'm shooting content. Other days it's a complete admin day, but there's no system to it because obviously the world does not revolve around me and my schedule. Everyone else has schedules. So calls can't all be just on Wednesday for me. Right. And how do I like find something that is a routine that is, is every day. And like, what could this look like? Not necessarily just for me, but for creators in general. Yeah. I think that that's a really good question. And, and sometimes it's not that you have to apply the routine, the routine to your work. Sometimes you have to apply the routine to your life. So maybe it's one hour when you wake up, you literally do not look at any electronics and you're doing something completely different. Maybe the routine looks like stopping work at a certain time or putting in breaks at a certain time. And of course, maneuvering those breaks as you need to, if you have really important brand partnership at four and that's when you take your break, you know, you can maneuver it around. But I think that Mm -hmm. that's the best place to start is how are you starting your morning? How are you ending your day? And are you giving yourself breaks in between, especially if you know that you can't count on a routine work environment, you can create a routine in the environment outside of your work. Mm, that That is a truth bomb. And you're making me want to <laughs> set up an action plan right now because I feel like that work, the, the non-routine in work is something that I've been letting dictate a lot of my uh, mindset, I think, lately um, around or, or a block, yeah. I guess, around being able to change that. So thank you for that. I know you helped me at least tonight. Um, Another question I wanted to ask is kind of about the, the way that you help others, right? Like you help so many people and you mentioned you work with some huge creators. You're like a massive creator yourself. What struggles have you as, you know, a person, as a human, as, as Courtney, like not, not doctor aside, right? Like how have you really been, how have you been, first of all, and second of all, like, how does your mental health play a role in the content that you create? Well, thank you for asking that. I, you know, I i am diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I have severe anxiety and I still have active trauma responses sometimes because I've been through some stuff. <laughs> and um, so it, the pandemic was really overwhelming. I had a, a two, almost a two-year-old at the time. 
Um, and I had just moved and my dad lived with me and we were completely polar opposites when it came to politics. And so my mental health really took a hit, at least in the beginning of 2020, when my career started, I developed skin picking disorder, which is actually why if any of you guys do see my content, that's why I had bangs. I had bangs for a long time. And people are always like, oh, your bangs are so Mm. iconic. They're so you, they're so the character, but they didn't know that get them from my mental health. Now they do, right. but at the time you always have to like share your struggles as they're happening. Right. But overall, I mean, my mental health is amazing now. And part of that is because I sold my business. One thing I realized, and I actually see a question down here that will filter into this answer is when I started my business, I started, which was a mental health and addiction treatment center I had for four years. When I started that business, I was not my real true self. I created the entire organization around being a people pleaser and going over and above the top and having like eight different hats I was mm-hmm. wearing, which is part of the entrepreneurial journey, but it was, it was farther than that. And so I was living this one life where I had my treatment center and was like, it was causing me so much anxiety and having me fall into bad habits. And then I was my real authentic self as the truth doctor. I could cuss. I showed my tattoos. I was you know, saying things in the way that I would want to say them in the therapy room, but don't say them in the therapy room. So there was like this dissonance between these two Mm -hmm. essentially characters that I was living in my life. And once I sold my business and I was fully able to just dive into the truth of who I really was as, as the truth doctor, my mental health got so much better. And one of the questions that's down here is like, how can I find balance and harmony between I'm not my work And also the ability to project and portray things that are actually an accurate depiction of who I am rather than a false narrative or persona. And my response to that is your work is just like a mirror of you. When you look in the mirror, are you the mirror because you see yourself in it? No, you are still you. And that's important to differentiate like mental health in that way when it comes to like, because if we start to identify ourselves as our work, our mental health absolutely plummets because it's dependent upon how our work is doing. So we need to make sure to have that separation between being our fully authentic self and not getting as many likes as we'd like on a video and realizing that those are an actual, those are not actual likes of who we are as a person, just the content that we made. And there's a huge difference. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, This calls for a beverage break. Uh, I usually have these little beverage, you know, breaks. So if you have some water, if you have a snack, uh, now's kind of like the time that I like to do that in between questions. But holy cow, you're effing awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I hope that you guys didn't hear me swallow my water, but if you did, oh well. Um, So that is is really helpful, I think, first and foremost. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for also uh, telling us a little bit about your story. Um, how have you kind of maintained uh, this relationship between what, what you're talking about, like who we are and who our work is or who we are in, in the physical realm versus who we are digitally and what that digital avatar looks like? Um, I feel like I know that I know I'm, I'm going to ask a question Actually, I'm going to let you answer it first, and then I'm going to I'm going to counter ask. So, yeah, that's the first thing. Um, can you? Yeah, it yeah, absolutely. Um, just how do you maintain the relationship of now that your work and your um, 
your business is not necessarily a hundred percent who you are, um, or, or like it's not defining you. And now you have this entire like online personality, right? How do you kind of dictate that boundary between your online personality and all of your, you know, online content creation stuff, and then who you are off offline and off screens and everything. And the reason why I'm asking is because I've also struggled with this in the past two years since we've been kind of locked inside dealing with, you know, growing followings and uh, just a digital age where people Mm -hmm. kind of disconnect from in-person relationships and uh, self-identity, I think. And they kind of feel like they've lost themselves. uh, And now they just have this whole digital personality. But obviously you experience this on a mass scale. So I'm just asking like, how exactly do you Mm -hmm. differentiate that boundary? Yeah, I feel like you know, if if my honest answer is because I have 12 years of clinical education. Right. And that is not a helpful answer to people that don't. And that's actually something that I find really important to say, because how are we supposed to know how to separate our work identity from our personal identity when nobody tells us that our brain is going to specifically do things that make it that difficult and that you have to actively work against it? We, we don't know, you know, like even with me saying this right now that like, you know, know the separation, it's like, how exactly do you do that? I mean, I would could teach an entire semester class on it and people would probably still have questions. And that's because the brain is so complex. It's so difficult to like get it to do the things you want to do and get it not to do the things you don't. Right. But I think like for me, in, in addition to the clinical education I have, having borderline personality disorder, you have a really... Um, uh, you have an ability for your self image to break to pieces very easily, depending upon the relationships that you have, or sometimes like it can be the amount of attention that you get and whether that's positive or negative. So a lot of the work that I've had to do to overcome that, which has, which can be applied to what we're talking about now is the concept of radical acceptance. And, and I want to preface talking about radical acceptance by saying Sometimes people say to radically accept it that should not be radically accepted. And it's like applied, you know, with like discrimination Mm. or shit when you're treated poorly at work or whatever it is. Like, obviously, we don't want to radically accept everything. But what we can radically accept is that not everybody's going to like us. And if we like us and radically accept the parts of ourselves that we can't necessarily get rid of, or that we don't want to get rid of and that we wouldn't want to if other people liked it, then it really helps us just maintain our own self-esteem. Like we need to have boundaries around what we allow to affect who we are as people. But we're not really taught that. Like when we grow up, we're taught like that we have to say please and thank you Mm -hmm. because other people want us to, and we have to dress a certain way or like a certain gender or be a certain gender and, and so on. And we lose our ability to identify and define ourselves. And so we are permanently taught to seek part of the definition of who we are from other people. And it's unlearning that and allowing yourself to say, this is who I am. And this is how I'm choosing to show up. And both of those things are okay. Both of those things can be alive and well, and that's dependent on me and not somebody else. 
Right. And so I was just going to add kind of a second thing onto that, especially on the note of like accessibility, right? Um, We do have a question down here about any book recommendations or resources that people can go to. Obviously, your accounts (laughs) are helpful, but outside of that, you know, there's a need for like more access to mental health uh, resources. So what would you kind of recommend? Yeah, I mean, what gets hard is like recommending mental health resources when mental health is so broad. Yeah. Um, well, I'm writing a book, but it won't be out for a year. But I, I mean, one of the books I would highly recommend is called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, I'm going to put it in here. Yeah. I have the the link and I'll link it in the episode, uh, but, but I, ha- I have it um, by my bedside, actually, because I'm reading it right now as well. Oh, yeah. So it's a beautiful book. The body keeps the score. And what it teaches you is like, you know, when we are growing up, we hear some things about mental health, like, but it's mainly about how the mind works. Like, you know, maybe we've heard the word ego or inner child Mm -hmm. or or boundaries. Mm -hmm. But what we don't really understand is just how complex and like I said, broad mental health actually is and how pervasive it is not only in your mind, but also in your body. And once you learn how mental health affects your body, you are given the option to take and make so many different choices about the skills and like the coping skills and the things that actually work for you and why. Once we know why the coping skill helps like breathing or meditation or yoga or whatever it is on the physical level, we honestly feel like our mental health is getting better because when we're only working with our mind, we're only working with our mind, but our mind is in our brain and our brain is part of our body and it's connected to our entirety. So that book's really helpful. The body keeps the score. The subtitle is brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma. And it's really helpful. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. What other, like, what are some of your favorite organizations that you kind of support and work with um, even to help like people deal with these kinds of issues as well, if they just want to start learning about it? Definitely. Well, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is one that I work really closely with, known for short as NAMI, and they have organizations across the whole country, and they're all free. So they have like podcasts, mm-hmm. classes, free therapy, NAMI, N-A-M-I. That's super helpful. The Jed Foundation is really helpful. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I I also think there's such a value in talking about mental health. So on that note, because I think it's in a way becoming a little bit um, of like a buzzword on social media, right? Like everyone's like, oh, it's like, you know, it's, it's, I'm doing this for my mental health. I'm doing that for my mental health. And it's easy to like go into a comparison loop, even on the note of I think feeling like your mental health might not be as good as somebody else's and like what's what that looks like for somebody else is not mm-hmm. going to look the same as it is for you. And therefore you're comparing your worth and your, your mental health um, to that. Like, do you have any recommendations to kind of stop that feedback loop? If it's even making sense? I don't know if that makes <sighs> sense at all. Um, yeah. I feel like I get what you were saying. Just, and, and yeah. Where my mind goes it's, is like, the brain is mm-hmm. always going to compare because that's that's its purpose. Its purpose is to take where you are in the, the world, then look at the world and see what do I need to do to survive? Mm-hmm. And is there anything that's of a danger to me? And because we have this need, this human need for like self-esteem and connection, 
part of the danger can be, is there anything that is going to block my ability to connect that's going to make me experience lower self-esteem? So our brain actually looks out for ways to compare ourselves to other people, ways that are doing people that are doing it better and people that are doing it worse. The thing is, if we have any motivation to succeed and get better, we often pay attention to the people that are doing it better and not the people that are doing it worse because we feel like we've already gotten past that point. And so it's basically the best skill is to know that your brain is going to do that. There's no way to totally shut that off. But once you can pause when you see it happening and say, my brain is comparing right now, it, it starts to separate you from, you know, often we think we are the thoughts. I'm not good enough. They have more of a following. Like this brand probably isn't going to work with me again because, of, you know, we roll, we roll all these thoughts and we identify ourselves as the thoughts. But with that pause, once we get familiar with what our thought processes look like and we can categorize them. This is comparison. This is low self-worth from that one thing my mom said when I was younger. We can kind of figure out what all those things are. Then we can disidentify from them, actually take a look at them and then say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that right now because it isn't going to go away permanently or completely. We have Mm -hmm. to learn to accept it, distance ourselves from it, look at it and then go, no, thank you. Right. I I also think like that's that's such a hard skill to learn. So as you're working through that, like I think it's really important um, to anyone listening to just like give yourself like that grace and that like opportunity to kind of like relish in the learning process because it's really hard um, to 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 do. And I think there's like a lot of times where you can. I don't know if this a hundred percent aligns, but to make progress, sometimes you have to go two steps backward or was it uh, two steps, two steps forward, one step back. Is that how it works? Did I say the saying, right? Um, and sometimes that happens mm-hmm. with your mental health, right? Like you yeah. have to, you go forward and then something bad happens, but the, but then you keep going forward after again and again and again. And it's not always going to be something that's like pulling you down and negative, but um, I, I do see that we have um, kind of like uh, another down here about like motivation and drive being effectful media and by a lot of the change that's happening around us right now in the world. So um, the question is, what kinds of tools and coping mechanisms do you recommend to heal and get through this mental blockage? First of all, therapy is what I would recommend as a creator um, and uh, <laughs> I guess your internet older sister, right? I would, I would say therapy, if you have access to it, is something that like is, it can be life-changing uh, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm sure you agree. <laughs> yeah, 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 I absolutely do. Um, and yeah, I was just taking a look at this question. So, and saying like, you know, that there's depression, okay, there's diagnosable depression and then there's just sometimes people can just feel depressed too. So starting off by saying, I'm not addressing you specifically and your depression, but I'm more so talking about the, what can happen in our brain when we're depressed or when things shift, like going into a pandemic or whatever. And, and I like that. I like that. It says it's been, it's made a lot of undeniably simple tasks become the most complicated. Of course, that's going to be difficult to push through, you know, what are the tools? What are the coping Mm -hmm. mechanisms? The first thing to realize is that while we perceive ourselves as like, okay, let's say we need to clean our room. 
Okay. We think that the action is that we need to move our body and clean our room. And it's because we can't move our bodies that there's something wrong with us. Like, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get up and just do it? And what I think a lot of people, this perspective shift, I say all the time, you are your brain. You are your brain. And if your brain is depressed or your brain is anxious or your brain is feeling like, what the hell is going on right now? I'm in the middle of a pandemic that's been lasting for two years. It's going to not have the nutrients it likely needs, the neurotransmitters that it needs. It's going to start to develop brand new systems because we've stepped out of working from in the office to working at home. We've graduated high school. We've graduated college. We started a new job. We quit our job, whatever it is. So much has changed and that changes what's going on in our brain. So really like the first coping mechanism, I I would say, is just like you said before, to give yourself some grace. And the saying I usually say is give yourself grace and space. Because often what we try to do is we try to fit our mental healing into our life that we already have. And we need to create space for working on our mental health and not think that taking that space for our mental health is like wrong or we should be doing something different. Like, no, it's important to address it. It's important to look at your mental health and figure out what is it that is blocking you. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult to do that as well because you, at least I'm going to speak for myself here. I'm living at like at home with my parents still. I wasn't able to do the quote unquote normal things that, uh, you know, 21 to 25 year olds get to do. Right. I entered the pandemic 21, graduated college, uh, decided I wasn't going to work in corporate America and founded my own business and am living at home still. Right. Like if you asked me two years ago, if this would be the case, I would be like, you're out of your mind crazy. You know, like it's so crazy to even comprehend where each of us are today in our journeys. And like you said, like you sold your business this year, like that's amazing. But also that's like a huge life change. Right. Um, So we just have to like, I don't know what, what's your favorite thing to do personally? Um, Not recommendation based, just like, we're getting down with Dr. Courtney. Like what would you, what, what's your like Zen or what's your like safe space? That's a good question. I feel like I, I feel like, and maybe this will just help me seem more relatable, but I feel like I don't really do much still. Like, I feel like I'm still like in the pandemic. It's like, if I'm not working, then I'm just hanging out with my baby or I'm sleeping, you know, it like takes up most of Mm -hmm. the time. Um, but like, what, what am I, like, what motivates me to keep going, you know, because I, I do have clients and I've, I've been on the news so many times, like on air talking to the country about this lack of motivation, this lack of drive, this, this feeling like, like, oh my God, how long is this pandemic going to go for? Like, I just feel like I can't keep waiting it out. I don't have motivation to keep trying, hoping that it will end the motivation and drive for me to just be alive, right? Like is, is to know that, that I have been in a place before that sort of felt like this, where I felt stuck, where I felt confused. And I felt like my environment and my life was out of my control. And then that got better. And usually when we're in it and we're like, like, what do we do? Like, we forget that we've been there before and we've gotten out of it. So like, What I'm looking forward to, not as a recommendation, is like, I want to travel. Like, I traveled so much before the pandemic. 
I really want to do that. I like being exposed to different cultures, ethnicities, routines, societies. I like to learn, you know, about the world that we live in today and try to be as as broad-minded as I can because we can be really narrow-minded if we don't experience different things. But so I'm excited to travel and um yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think at least from what I'm hearing is kind of like we've been stuck in the same pattern and we have a lack of variety in our life. Mm -hmm. And that lack of variety is what kind of defers and and also deters our brains and our self from functioning and moving forward in a way that's productive. And instead we want to stay in the negative feedback loop, but we have to break it. Um, and, and I don't know, I feel like this year I've kind of found journaling to be super helpful. I'm interested to hear your takes on that. And, uh, also like from a psych perspective, what journaling does for individuals. Um, I actually used to have kind of a fear of journaling. Um, and today I finished my very first journal from front to back. Um, and it basically was filled out, uh, from the end of last year to now. And, uh, it's just been so healing for me. So I'm just curious, like, what's your perspective? And then also what's the science perspective? Well, I want to ask yeah. you a question first, if that's okay. I was curious, why, why were you afraid? Yeah, there's a number of things. I think one, it was like a limiting belief. Um, two, it, I grew up doing art and taking art classes and there was always so much pressure to finish a sketchbook or like always like be producing work mm -hmm. and art and something that's like reflective of me or my vision or whatever it was. And uh, I had injuries and I actually, uh, because of my chronic illness and I had a hard time writing for a long time. So part of it was like a physical disability that prevented me, um, from actually being able to fulfill assignments on paper. And the other part of it, I think was just because of that high expectation to do something perfectly that, that, um, you know, reflects and is like so cute, like going to art school, you see so many cool doodles, right? Like, have you ever like looked at your friend's notebook or someone's notebook and been like, oh my God, you're making the cutest like doodle. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I, or like, oh my gosh, you have such neat handwriting. Yeah. If you flipped open a page of my journal and tried to read it and you weren't me, you would be like, what is this? Like the, <laughs> my handwriting's terrible because of my injury. I feel like my doodles are never good. So yeah, long story short, that was the limiting belief. And I just kind of picked up a pen and was like, you know what, mm. I'm just going to write a list of what I did this month, or I'm going to, you know, write my goals for mid year or, you know, in the next three months or whatever it is. And then I did start kind of like venting as well. So yeah, that was the long, long story. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I feel like a lot of people actually have resistance to journaling and it, it was nice to hear, hear your reason why. So thank you. You know, I think journaling is super underrated. Like I feel like sometimes people think like of like little girls in their diaries little kids in their diaries. Right. And, Absolutely. And journaling does a lot. Okay. The first thing that it does is when I said earlier that we think we are our thoughts, when we see our thoughts on paper, we experience this emotional catharsis of like, oh, like one, you're getting it out. It's not just this thought train that you visualize in your brain. That's like terrorizing you. It becomes words that are actually written on a piece of paper. So it separates you from it. It gets it off of 
out of your head and onto paper. And what it also does is it actually gives you an opportunity to review your thoughts after they're no longer stressing you out. So to Mm. see what it is that was Mm. stressing you out or that you were worried about or that was making you sad or angry without the emotionality being felt in your body, you can process it better and realize, do I really feel this way? Or was I overwhelmed in my mind and body at the time? And this doesn't necessarily feel that true to me anymore. Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, I, (laughs) this is like so cool to have you on here going through this because it, it just, it perfectly encapsulates what actually is going on. And, um, I think also, like you said before, journals in the past have represented like in all major films like we've really only seen guys writing songs to girls for the most part in journals mm-hmm. uh and uh, or or like if it's like a movie about an artist right like that's the only time we've seen them writing in a journal or on paper otherwise it's all girls like in 16 wishes or 16 candles or whatever writing about the the 16 right. things that they want and <laughs> it's like so kind of like uh glamorized in a lot of ways which has to do with just how i think women are depicted in media and in a lot of ways if that's what you consumed when you grew up right. why would it be any different than reality uh that's i think just it's a it's a fascinating topic to kind of ruminate on um i'm going to pause real quick and drink some water uh if you need some as well Feel free. Now is the time. I just, (laughs) water's important, people. Stay hydrated. And if you're listening, please drink with us. Yeah, honestly, I feel like I wish I could just like get you saying, stay hydrated for 20 minutes. Hey, like I feel like I'll drop drop a reel. You can save it. You can use the sound, (laughs) replay it anytime you want. (laughs) Um, But speaking of, I guess, hydration, um, what are some of your like wellness and spiritual uh, strategies and, and things that you do to help you kind of stay present and off your phone? Oh, that's a great question. So thank you for asking that. I am a practicing Buddhist um, oh, moderately. Cool. So there's the mindfulness, there's the meditation, there's just really like the the Buddhist psychological concepts of like, um, not being attached to anything necessarily, and also not being averted to anything. It just helps me stay in the middle and not just feel like everything is good or bad or right or wrong. And that's a really helpful mindset to be in. But I can't necessarily share all of those practices right now. And I don't even know if people right. want to hear them. But one thing that I can and would love to recommend to anybody is if you ever feel like you can't get off your phone or you don't have enough time to, to do all the things you want to do in your life or you're really sad or angry or whatever it is. And, and this is a very helpful skill. Every person listening right now is breathing, right? We're all breathing. But what we don't realize is that there is so much in just one breath. And I want to just briefly go over what's called the four point breath. And I think most people have not heard about this practice. Yeah, I haven't. Let's do it. Okay, I won't I won't fully walk you through it because it does take take some time, but here's what it is. Basically, there are four parts to your breath. There's the inhale, then there's that little moment right as you stop inhaling before you exhale. Then there's the exhale, and then there's that brief moment when you're done exhaling before you inhale. So one inhale, two hold, three exhale, 
four, hold. Now you're not necessarily holding in those moments, but there's this little pause before you start inhaling or exhaling. What the practice is, is just breathing naturally, not trying to breathe deep, not trying to do anything different than the way your body naturally breathes. Breathe as many cycles as you can until you can find a word to describe the feeling of just the first point, just the inhale. Normally people can say things like invigoration or energy or something like that. And and so you can label just that one quarter, just the inhale. And then you continue doing some normal breathing until you can figure out the word for the second point, which is right before you exhale. Then you keep doing it until the third point. What is the word to describe what you feel during the exhale? Sometimes people will say calmness or rest and, and then do it again until you start to find a word for the bottom part, part four, right? As you exhale before you inhale. What this does is once you have that, those four words that describe the four points of your breath, you realize that there is an entire world in one breath and you have so much time, so much more time than it feels like you experience so many more things than you realize every single moment. So when you're feeling impatient, realize that you have so much time in one breath. When you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling negative, recognize if you could come up with a positive word for just that first part of the inhale even, and realize that you can take a moment and experience that positivity in the inhale that will always be there as long as you're alive, because it's this, it really is this invigoration, our body getting oxygen and allow yourself to feel that while also feeling everything else. There's so much in our bodies that. that we don't pay attention to. Yeah, there's there's so much that we don't pay attention to 100%. And as someone who's chronically ill, like I feel like I've been hyper aware, but also hyper um, unaware because I'm so mm. used to just letting my body exist in such a low energy <laughs> um, because I have to put energy into that. But um, I was just going to say, I used to get acupuncture to try to help with my chronic pain. And my doctor did walk me through kind of like, you know, box breathing. I feel like that's kind of like what you're describing, but this does add a whole new element to it. When you think about the emotion and like the way that you, your body is feeling in the relation to that. So I, I really love that. Um, and Mm -hmm. I definitely am looking into more breath work and on the note of breath work, are you like, do you practice breath work? Do you recommend it? Um, is it helpful? Is it, cause that's another thing that I think I have a limiting belief with, and I'm sure many others do around like meditation and breath work. Well, yeah, they're both really important and they, you know, before we had like Western medicine of any kind, like we had Eastern philosophies that talk mm-hmm. specifically about these things and they've, contributed to humanity advancing and staying kind of peaceful at times. And I think that they're really important. Meditation calms our body. Like it actually improves our immune function. It reduces stress. It boosts our mood. It helps us stay alive longer through mindfulness. Breathing, breathing can be a good thing and it cannot be a good thing. Breathing, uh, breath work. For somebody that's really traumatized, for example, paying attention to your body or somebody that experiences chronic pain and they do everything they can to avoid thinking about their body when they don't have to, it can be really overwhelming and usually needs to be done with someone. 
Because like, for example, someone with like PTSD, if they just started doing breath work by by themselves, they could have a panic attack. They could start to hyperventilate. They could, because their body, just like we know now, the body keeps the score and it has these reactive and reflexive patterns that are unconscious. And that's what I'm writing my book about that are unconscious and out of our control until we realize how they work. So yes, meditation, mindfulness, breath work, so important. If you are worried at all that you would have a negative reaction, very important to do it with somebody that knows where they're, what they're doing so they can teach it to you. And then you can try it on your own when you feel safe. Wow. Yeah. I, I really love that. And just kind of honoring and and knowing that it's not for everybody and you have to take different steps to to maneuver it and kind of learn about breath work um not just from some generic person but it's a really like specific tailored experience that we're putting our mind body and soul like connection into so i really just appreciate you also bringing that to light um right now uh i did have another question for you since we are kind of wrapping up on our time which is we're heading into 2022. Um, There is a significant amount of energy and, uh, you know, thoughts and topics uh, stirring around the internet about the concept of the metaverse. I don't know if you know anything about it. I don't know what your take is on it, but do you think that this is going to be something where we're going to have to be even more aware of our mental health? Um, and if so, do you have any ideas or any pre- predictions about what's going to happen when that really takes off? Oh, that's a, oh my God. I have so many opinions. Okay, let's hear it. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> But basically the first thing that I thought about when I heard that this was going to be a thing, because it's going to be a thing, like it's going to happen there. Yeah. There's really no doubt about it. Um, The first image that popped in my head was the beginning of the movie WALL-E where all of the human beings are just on conveyor belts, sitting in couches, like going around the system, watching TV and eating fast food. Right. It feels like, and basically what I'm using that for is a metaphor and a visualization of just how much we are going to be literally disconnected from our bodies. We are going to see a different body that is not our own and feel like as long as that body is functioning fine, then we probably are functioning fine too. That's a huge concern because we already know that absorbing ourselves in social media can cause us to put our own self-care on the back burner. But at least when we're looking at our phones or our computers, we can still see in the peripheral Mm -hmm. the rest of our real life. Once we're putting on goggles and it's literally dead space other than the screen that now defines our life, how is that going to affect how we take care of ourselves physically? How is that going to affect what we think our purpose and meaning is for being on the natural planet earth that we are on. And how is that going to impact how we think we need to take care of our natural world that we live on when we can maybe live in a, in, you know, in a desolate desert, as long as we have, you know, I, I could just see us having like an IV hooked up with just enough nutrients to like not die because we're eating fake food in this metaverse. It's, and that's obviously really extreme, but, but we we are really numbing ourselves from the true experience of being organically alive in the universe. And it's going to be really important that, that there's parameters and barriers to really recognize if somebody is starting to push their entire identity 
into this metaverse and forgetting that we are organic beings that need water and food and sleep and and to engage face to face with somebody because our brains are programmed to mirror and to have direct interactions. Like the reason that our eyes are facing the front of our face is so that because we are engaging because we are created and have evolved to engage in communication with one another. That's why they're not on the sides, right? We're not just looking for predators. We have other protections for that. Mm -hmm. So now our eyes face forward so we can have a conversation with somebody else. And we're losing that. We're still natural beings, but we're living more and more in an unnatural world. Right. How interesting. And I I think it's like, it's a really interesting, well, obviously it's an interesting time period, but how can we collectively move society forward in an in, in inevitable fate, right? Like it's going to happen, like you're saying. How can we we educate uh, around ways to not become, you know, these very disconnected people? Um, and this is kind of a rhetorical question that I think we can uh, probably close on is just the whole, the, the future of mental health, right? Like, can we somehow see the light, right? Or can we somehow use it to our advantage um, to make a better world for people? Or is it just going to eat up at us and uh, throw us into these really, really dark, deep feedback loops? Um, So yeah, feel free to answer that or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I like the way you put that too, because usually when I talk about my like perception of the future, it can get really like doom and gloom. Like my book, I yeah. was like, uh, you kind of are just making people feel super depressed with no hope. And like, there's definitely hope. And so uh, just like I had to throw that into the chapters of my book to not scare people away. Let me leave you with this. We have so much access to information really now that the internet exists about how our mind and body work. The goal with this metaverse and people who are building it. I really, my goal, if I could talk to them would be, you need to put a therapist on your team. You need to put somebody that understands the physical body on your team. And you need to figure out how you're going to create a world that reminds people that they're actually alive. Right. And outside of that, I think people often assume that ways to help your mental health, of course, yes, we want to go to therapy. We want to learn about uh, psychological concepts, right? Like, I don't know what, what anger really is, what, and like what boundaries are and communication styles, attachment styles, things like that. But another way to learn about your mental health is to learn about your body. So you could very easily get, get a physiology 101, like go, like go to YouTube, Google Physi or Google, go to YouTube, go to YouTube and, and type in physiology 101, learn <laughs> about how your heart works, learn about how your lungs work. And that will help you have insight and learn about how your immune system works. It'll help you gain insight into why de-stressing is important. It will help you gain insight into how breath work can actually change your entire body and your entire mind. I think the the biggest flaw in mental health education and therapy today, not so much therapy now that we have somatic experiencing and somatic therapy, soma means body but is that we're not taught the underlying concepts of how these things actually work. Like we're told, here's a breath practice, do it. We're not told that when you breathe and take a longer exhale than an inhale, your muscles 
uh, detents, and that causes your immune system to slow down. And that's important because if your immune system doesn't slow down, then you can develop autoimmune diseases or other chronic illnesses because our immune system needs time to recalibrate. Like we need, so that, I mean, my advice is please don't only learn about how your mind works, learn about how your body works too and access the free information that you have available before you start getting infused in the metaverse and you forget that that's even an option and something that you should be doing. Right. I think everything you said is just so amazing. You're amazing. And I so appreciate you and coming on tonight to share all of your insights and your wisdom with us. Um, Going into 2022, what are some projects? I know you just told us about your book, but can you share any other fun updates uh, with us that we can, you know, look forward to and watch from you and also where to find you on social? Ah, well, thank you so much. Yeah. So yes, my book I'm writing right now, it's called Your Unconscious is Showing, and it's going to teach you about all the unconscious aspects of your mind and your body, which will be great. Like $20, you can learn all the stuff I have in my head (laughs) without having to have me as your therapist. Um, uh, I have the Truth Doctor Mm -hmm. show where I use pop culture and the media as my medium to talk about mental health in the world. That's on YouTube, the Truth Doctor show. Um, My podcast, The Truth Doctor Show, will be launching sometime in the first quarter of 2022. I have merch coming out, a product about communication, about mental health coming out. And I'm currently pitching to networks and streamers two different TV shows that will be at the end of the year if they get picked up. Um, And you can find everything on my website, thetruthdoctor.com. And my two biggest platforms are TikTok and Instagram with the handle the period truth period doctor oh my gosh you are amazing there's one more thing i want to ask you uh before you go which i ask all of my guests um what is your mantra that you you know that gets you through yeah my mantra is the name of my book your unconscious is showing Mm -hmm. and the way that people can use that mantra is to realize in any given moment You can pause, look at your behavior, look at how you're feeling, look at your thoughts and say your unconscious is showing and figure out where is this rooted in my past? Do I want to make these decisions moving forward? Super important. I love that. Um, Courtney, thank you so much. This has been such an insightful conversation. I know everyone listening uh, hopefully feels the exact same way I feel, which is just like, I'm smiling. I'm excited. My, my thoughts are kind of running and I just want to get off my screens and I literally have four screens in front of my face right now, which believe it or not is like you're saying day to day. So I'm going to try my best to make it a routine to not be on my phones from the minute I I wake up, which is, you know, it's going to be hard, but, but you're so inspiring. Thank you so, so much. Um, and with that, uh, I'll see you all in 2022. Holy shit. (laughs) Um, over and out party people.